So we've called the Humane Society and getting them all up, and we'll be in good shape. Um, I've had a great week. Uh, I trust that you have as well as Christians. This is our filling station. We come and get to be revived and revitalized, get to sing a lot of beautiful hymns and hear God's word and pray together in fellowship. All these things that we need to be stronger Christians and be uh, more in tune with Jesus Christ. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to begin our service with prayer, and then we'll sing some great songs together. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for this morning. We praise you for your word. We've been here in the last few weeks about John and such an amazing book to read the Gospels and try and somehow picture in our minds what it would have been like to have been here on earth when you were around and see the things that you did. And then John, how he amazing the way he understood your deity and, and showed that like none of the other Gospels to understand that somehow you were one with God and you set that aside to become a man to die for us is beyond our comprehension. Makes my head hurt to think about those things. And yet, by faith, you've given me your spirit inside to remind me of that, to give me confidence that if I put my trust in Jesus, you're going to give me eternal life and one day I get to be with you forever. And I pray that as we sing these songs this morning, they would encourage us and remind us of what we have in you, that they would give us a chance to encourage each other as we hear each other singing and testifying in song of the difference you've made in our lives. Use everything that's done this morning, the preaching of your word and the singing of the songs, to lift Jesus up and to make us love you more. We ask it in his name. Amen. I'm going to start with a great song, Are You Washed in the Blood? This is, uh, Jeff was commenting this morning as we were practicing, this is a very convicting song. As you sing this song, he's asking you, okay, are you washed in the blood? Have you asked Jesus in your heart? And is it making a difference in your life? Have you been to Calvary for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed, Are you washed in the blood, in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed? 
washed in the blood of the Lamb. When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bright and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the, blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, holy, white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul and clean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood? In the blood, in the soul and clean blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah! Are your garments spotless, holy, white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Listen to the chorus again. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? As they say, if that don't get you going, your getter's broke. Okay. This is a beautiful song, too, a little quieter, but um, the recognition, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, our salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus everything on the cross, and this hymn is about that. Jesus paid it all, and the admonition that the Bible gives us, if he did that for you, then you're bought with a price, and you're not your own. You're his, and you're to serve him. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leper's spots And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all All to hear my own Sin had left a crimson stain For nothing could have I, whereby 
Christians, sometimes we ask, or we think, some of the sins that we've done, how can God forgive that? How, how is, uh, as many times as I've failed, as many times as I've let him down, how can he keep loving me? How can he keep forgiving those sins? The answer is in this hymn, uh, the grace that God has is greater than any of our sin. His sin pays for every sin that you ever have or ever will commit. His death on the cross was that horrible and that powerful that it could accomplish that. And the grace that God offers is greater than all of our sin. Grace that will pardon and cleanse 
is a stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will burden and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment his grace receive. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than great scripture song from the book of Proverbs. The smartest man who ever lived wrote a book, and he didn't always do all the things that he wrote about, but at least God gave him all the wisdom to know all the things that he should do. And uh, I guess he's saying, do as I say, not as I do. But uh, Proverbs 6 is a great concept for living our lives. If we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and don't think of the things that we want to do, not trust our own wisdom and knowledge, but to rely on him, he will direct our paths. And I can promise you it'll go a whole lot better. Trust in the Lord with all my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. My son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my command. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add unto you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and 
concept of everything we have in our salvation is in Christ alone. In Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength my soul, this cornerstone, this solid ground, from through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost his grip on me, for I am his and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. 
Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand Good morning. Our, um, our scripture reading for the day is in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Feel free to read along in a Bible you brought with you or one in the pews or just be blessed by listening. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those or at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see that your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Father God, I thank you that you are, that you are, Lord Jesus, the head of all rule and all authority, and that, and that if we are looking to find God, we only need to go to look upon his son who died on the cross for our sins and who was raised, raised up in bodily form, and Lord was made king of the universe. Help us to be rooted and established in our faith, Lord, that we would discern uh, false teachings and the ways of the world, Lord, that we would keep our eye upon you, and Lord, that we would not fall into any kind of deception at all, and let us trust in, Lord, in your revelation as found in the Bible, in your word, 
to guide us in following you. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of the word, and in the preaching of the same. I thank you that you've given us a pastor, Steve, who loves you, who loves his word and loves us. And, and Lord, I pray that you would put in his mind uh, what you would have him preach to us today and that we would have ears to hear and take to heart uh, what we will hear. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see every one of you here this morning. Hope Bible Church, the first day of the month, first day of the week, and it is the Lord's Day. We'll be having communion together later on. I want to read something from just about, a, about the richest man in the world. His name is Elon Musk. You might have heard about him. He purchased Twitter, or trying to, I believe, recently. But he's a very interesting person because he is rich. He's extremely smart has a lot of ideas, and uh, this is what it says. There's no debate over how brilliant Elon Musk is. His SpaceX company delivers astronauts to space and satellites for future Internet. He often speaks of artificial intelligence potential. Musk said Tesla's humanoid Optimus robot be worth more than the car business. You hear that? He's got this, he's working with humanoids, robots. His Tesla humanoid Optimus robot will be worth more than the car business. He's also working on the neural implant in the brain. Neuralink, that's his company, is Musk's neural interface technology company. It's, developing, it's a developing a device that would be embedded in a person's brain where it would record brain activity and potentially stimulate it. Musk has compared the red technology to a Fitbit in your skull. That's what he wants to do. I say that because we have people like him, many others, but he's one of the foremost, who's really trying to make the human a, quote, better person. I say, quote, a better person. And he's a person I don't believe he's saved, and so he's trying to help humans have their best potential possible. We're here in this church to talk about humans and who can make us what we are to be. It's God, okay? And so it's important that we understand that. We live in this world that amazing that technology and what people think technology can make humans to be like. We can even understand what God says about us and the future he has because he does have one. We're looking at the Gospel of John with the purpose of seeing what it says about the Gospel of Jesus Christ and your understanding of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is central and foundational to the entirety of your life. And so... We're working our way through a number of chapters in the Gospel of John to see what it says about Jesus and also what it says about how Jesus then has changed your life as a person. When you talk about the Gospel of John and what Christ has done for you, you need to think about two things in general. Number one, what Christ has taken away. Taken away your sin, your guilt. Taken away hell, you, that is, you ever going to hell. And then he's given you life, a new life he's given you eternal life and oftentimes here's the point i want to make 
oftentimes as Christians we focus more on what Christ has taken away. In fact, we use that word saved. That's the takeaway part. You've been saved. You've been saved from sin and death and hell. You've been saved from Satan. You've been saved. That's a good thing. It's an important thing. But we also need to focus on what God gives us. And that's one of the primary themes of the Gospel of John. You see it time and time and time again. We've talked all so far in John 3 about, about God gives us eternal life. John 4, he gives us living water. In John chapter 6, we're talking about then how he is the bread of life, that Jesus is the bread of life. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 6, verses 30 to 34. Just going to work our way through a few verses here this morning. John chapter 6, and verse 30 to 34. So they said to him, to Jesus, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They then said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. So Jesus is talking to this crowd, and this crowd of people are asking for a sign. They want this sign so they then can believe in him. Very, very common theme that we see in the Gospels. People are asking for these signs. Jesus had given them so many signs. He had done so many miracles, all evidence that he was Messiah. And they kept asking for more signs. And throughout history, and even today, people keep asking for signs. What is God doing? What is Jesus doing? But let me say something very simply. People have all the evidence that they need. They don't need more evidence to believe in Jesus and to believe in the gospel. They already have it all. Now, the people are talking about the time of Moses and how the people back, back then got this manna, this bread from heaven. And, 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 and what Jesus then wants to talk about is, yes, that's true. But he wanted to use this little story to further explain the gospel and what God wants to give us. Now, they are talking about this, this physical bread, this physical food. But Jesus then wants to talk about this spiritual bread, this spiritual food, this true life. He tells them four, thi four, four things. First, he wants them to know that it wasn't Moses, a person on earth, who, who gave them this, this physical food, this physical bread. It was God himself. And then what he wants to go on, to go on to say is that Jesus not only is the one who gives you physical things, but he also wants to give you this spiritual food, this spiritual bread, this true bread, because that is what is most important. Thirdly, he tells them that true bread is that which gives life to people. That gives, that is he, is the bread of life, gives life to people. And he's talking about then spiritual life. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about a relationship with God in Christ. He's talking about how he wants to give us love and joy and peace and all these other good things. And he then wants to give us work to do. The final thing he says, just summing this up here, he says the Father is the one who gives this true bread to people. The word give meaning that it doesn't cost anybody anything. It's free. There's nothing anybody can do to get this bread, but to believe in Christ. That is what it is. And so the people then, we read there, Lord, give us this bread. Jesus then goes on to say in verse 35. He says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Very important, very profound 
powerful statement. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. What does this mean? Just a few things again here. First, there's the word I. The word I is referring to Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. The only one who is the bread of life is this Jesus. He says, I am this person. Secondly, the word am is in the present tense. Jesus is the bread of life now, today, at this very second, very minute. He's the bread of life tomorrow, and he's the bread of life forever. And, and, and you need Jesus now. You need Jesus today, this Sunday, the 1st of May. You need him tomorrow on the May 2nd. And through the whole month, through the whole year, all the time, you need this Jesus. He's the only one, only one who can really lead you and help you and love you and satisfy you and lead you in the plans that he has for you. Now, this phrase, I am, we probably, I'm sure we've talked about this in the past, but the Gospel of John is where you read about all these I am's. So here it says, he is the bread of life. Go to John chapter 8, he says, I am the, the, the um, light of the world. John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 15, he says, I am the true vine. So, all these words describe who Jesus is and what he does for us. Very, very important. We'll look at them more later, but today we're talking about how he then is the bread of life. Then there's the word bread. Bread. Back in that culture, bread was probably the most common food. People would have it, eat it every day, probably at most meals. I know when I went to my grandma's, grandparents' place back in the 60s and 70s, my grandma made bread. It was great bread and have it at least two meals a day, sometimes three meals a day. Great bread. We love, love the bread. I was watching a clip in the news this morning over in Ukraine, and you know what it was? Very interesting. I, I noticed. I said, hey, this, this, is, this is bread. It was a bread line. There are these people wanting food in Ukraine, and they're literally handing out loaves of bread, not the squishy kind of bread that you see in our country. It's solid bread. And the reason I say that because when I was there in 94, 95, most of our breakfast, we just had bread a little jam, and some juice. But you know what? I was filled up. That bread was hearty bread. It was solid bread. I mean, it, it, was, it was good stuff, that bread. Or as a Hispanic, you have rice, right? Two meals a day. Some of you maybe sometimes three meals a day. And I was thinking about this. If Jesus was in that culture, that Central American culture, he might have said, I'm the rice of life. But he was in the Israeli culture where they had bread. I am the bread of life. So when Jesus talked about bread, everyone knew what he meant. For bread was a staple. It was a common food. It was essential. It was satisfying. It was nourishing. It was tasty. It was good food. It was necessary. In fact, I heard this about two weeks ago. There's four different grains that, that make up 40% of all our calories in the world. And it's barley. It's corn, it's wheat, and it's rice. 40% of all caloric intake is from those four grains. So the idea, this is important. I am the bread of life. That's what Jesus was saying. And so then everybody knew the importance of physical bread. All he's saying here is I want you to understand, Jesus was saying, I want you to understand, you people, the importance then of this spiritual bread. That's what he was saying. Fourth point here is Jesus, the bread of life, is the only one who gives true life. And we're talking spiritual life, we're talking eternal life, we're talking life then that satisfies, that really, really meets your needs. 
And when you believe in Jesus, when you trust in him, when you depend on him, then you have this life. You have his love, you have his joy, you have his peace. He spiritually feeds you. He spiritually uh, fills you up. He satisfies you. He encourages you. He nourishes you. All that you spiritually need, he gives it to you. Turn to John 15. And verse, verses 4 to 7, this is the chapter about Jesus being the true vine. And we, as people, as believers, are the branches. It says, Abide in me, verse 4, John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This word abide, or sometimes translated the word remain, relates to what we're talking about here. How we talk about we need food. We eat food three times a day. We need that food to continually nourish us. Each one of our cells always need this food. That's one of the reasons the bloodstream is, is going to all parts of your body. The, the veins and the capillaries, everything. You need the food. The blood transports the food. So too, we need this bread all the time. And it's by abiding in him, by staying connected to him. I, I've mentioned this analogy so many times. I have plants. I grow things back at at my house, but if I had a tomato plant and I tore off the branch and then tried to put it back on, it just doesn't work. That branch has got to remain. It's got to stay there. That's what's got to happen. So too, we need to abide in the Lord. We need to stay connected to him. We need to remain in him. That means trusting him, depending on him. And then we can know the love of God, the peace of God, the purpose of God. Then we can be ones who are sustained and nourished and encouraged. And then, as it says in John 15, then we can bear fruit. If we're not bearing fruit as Christians, if, if there's not fruit from our lives, good spiritual things that God wants to do in and through us, then it's because we're not abiding in him. We're not then depending on the bread of life. John 6:35. let's go back there again. Continue on this theme, him, theme of him being the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. You see what it says? He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Talks about two words there, key words, comes and believes. Let's talk about these. Jesus says we need to come to him. That is, we're to approach Jesus, we're to go to Jesus spiritually speaking, personally speaking, and as we do that, then our needs will be met. We will not be spiritually hunger any, anymore. We'll be satisfied. But the question is this, what should our attitude be in coming to Jesus? How then are we to come to Jesus? Well, an unsaved, talk about two scenarios. First, the unsaved person, and secondly, the believer. An unsaved person needs to see his sin. He needs to see that Jesus is the Savior, that only Jesus can save him from his sin and from death. He needs to see that. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter uh, 5. Matthew 5, verses 3, 4, and 6. Matthew 5, verse 3. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These verses talk about how the unsaved person needs to see that he is poor. It's talking about he needs to see that he is spiritually poor, that he is spiritually needy, that he is spiritually empty. He's, he's bankrupt with, without Christ. He should also, as it says there, he should be one who, who mourns. He should be sorrowful that he has sinned. He should admit that he has sinned. He should repent of his sins. And then he can receive mercy. Then he can receive grace from God. Then he can be saved. He should hunger, says, and he thirsts for righteousness, knowing that only Christ can give him this righteousness. This is what's key. A person to be saved needs to realize that Christ is the answer. I need to come to him. I need to approach him. I need to ask him for this righteousness, and he then will give it to me. So the unbeliever then needs to be broken. He needs to be humble. He needs to repent. He needs to come to Jesus, and Jesus then will show him mercy. Jesus then will make him righteous, and Jesus then will love him. That's what happens. But as Christians, as ones who've already been saved, who've already ready to repent of our sins, what do we need to do? Because this, this I'm, I'm convinced, is practical, is, is, apply, is applicable for uh, both the saved and the unsaved. And so, Christians, we should be humble too. We should be broken, and we should go to Jesus, and we should hunger for Jesus, hunger for righteousness, and he then will satisfy us. He then will meet our needs. He then will fill us up. This is what he wants us to do. And this is an important thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's probably one of the most important things for your life, learning how to be fed from the Lord Jesus himself. What we're talking about then is coming to Jesus, and he wants you to come to him. Coming to one who is the living God, coming to one who is all-powerful, who is the Chief authority is full of, 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 of goodness and love, one who wants to meet all your needs. You're, you're coming to one then that you, can, that you can relate to and one who can relate to you. You're, you're coming to one who knows you and understands each one of you here and has compassion on you. That's the one you're coming to. You're coming to one then who can meet all your needs. And this is important to understand. All your needs, spiritual Emotional, relational, physical needs. He can meet all your needs. That's what he wants to do. Turn to Psalm 63. I was trying to think of different verses that relate to this. And there's really many in the Bible that talk about Jesus being the one that meets your needs. I like this one here. It's one of my favorite passages on this particular subject. Verses 1 through 5. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts. There's the word thirst. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. We're talking about being fed by the Lord, by being nourished by him. It's, it's a seeking process. That's, that's a real key here. It's believing that he wants to bless you in this way and seeking him and going after him. Tell him, tell him that you're tired of the things in this world. You don't want them anymore. All of us have had our fill of things of this world. We all understand what that means. He said, I want you to come after me. 
and to seek me in prayer and seek me in the word. And we see this, and I love this. Verse 2, I've seen you, thus I've seen you in the sanctuary. I seek and then I see to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So he seeks, he sees, he is satisfied, and he sings. That's what we see in these verses here. Wonderful verses about what the Lord then wants for each of us and how we then need to be ones who are, are seeking him. And so the promise then is that the person who comes to Jesus, who believes in him, will never hunger and thirst. And that's quite the promise. Again, we're thinking about our souls as you go through life and how oftentimes you're empty, discouraged, down, not feeling good, whatever thing you want to put in there, you can about put in. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. You'll always be satisfied. Spiritually speaking, you'll be satisfied by your relationship with Jesus. That's what will happen by his words, by his love, by his goodness, by his mercy, by all these things. You'd be one who's walking with God. You all know the story of Enoch back in Genesis chapter 5. Amazing story. This one who walked with God. And I think all of us have this visual, man, I really want to walk with God because y'all understand what it means to take a walk. You talk, I mean, my wife and I, we might go out for walks with our children during Christmas and Thanksgiving. We usually take walks around the block, one of our little traditions. And when you take a walk, you're with that person, and you're talking with that person, and, and there's that potential for more intimacy because it's just you and that other person. Here we're talking about walking then with God and enjoying him and being satisfied by him. That's what God wants us then to, what's to do. Now we talked about, and I just alluded to this, how non-Christians and Christians can go after worldly and fleshly things. There's food. There's alcohol, there's drugs, there's sex, there's games, there's sports, there's relationships, there's all kinds of entertainment, whether it's TV or movies or music, all kinds. You all know what I'm talking about. Maybe one or two of those have been harder for you than the others. You go after those things thinking that they will satisfy you, and you all know they won't. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12, very clearly, Moses speaking about the passing pleasures of sin. I was reading today in, in Ecclesiastes, Jeff mentioned Solomon. So Jeff mentioned Solomon or Steve? Steve mentioned Solomon. Um, and he was a smart person. But chapter 2, if you want to know what Solomon really got into, you go to chapter 2. Starts off with all this pleasure. He had all the pleasure he wanted. All the fun and all the games and all the money and all the women and all the projects and the gardens and the work. He had it all. I mean, you, you go back there and you read about tons of gold that he had. Tons and tons of gold was coming in every year from other countries. It's amazing. So it's, 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 a, it's an important chapter, I think, you to read sometimes to see that. It's just, it's just really, really worthless. It's not what the Lord wants. Turn to Luke chapter 6. So keep that in your mind. Read that sometime. I've mentioned these verses in Luke 6, but I want to go again because sometimes I repeat things because I want to make sure you don't forget them because they're key passages. I think this passage is as good as any for the United States of America in terms of what people need. Verses 20 to 26, Luke 6, and turning his gaze toward his disciples, began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Analogous to what we saw in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward in heaven reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they treat, fathers used to treat the son, used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Those last few verses, I believe, sum up the condition of our country as good as any. Food, fame, fun, and fortune. Got it? People like their food. Plenty of good restaurants. Fun, entertainment, fame, be fame. Get on Facebook or whatever. Got to be seen. Fame, fortune, money. It's all there. That's what people in this country. A few other things, but that really sums up a lot. And the answer is, it's not that. And, and, and so the, the point is simple. You know, whether you're saved or unsaved, because even if we're saved, sometimes we still go after these worldly things. And I'm not saying we cannot watch a movie. I'm not saying you can't go out to a restaurant. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying you can't watch a, a, a sports game on TV or see what happened with the Bucks in the recent draft. I'm not saying you can't do that. I mean, I do some of that, okay? But the point is this, that is not your life. That's not what's going to satisfy you. It is not. And, and you've got to learn that sooner or later. And this is what God wants for each one because he really wants to fill us up. Psalm 1, Psalm 1, excuse me, Luke 1, 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Only Christ can really meet your needs, and it happens when you come to him, when you're hungering and thirsting for him to meet your needs. This is important. This is an everyday thing. This isn't just a once a week or a Sunday morning. This is an everyday thing. Are you hungering? says, Jesus, I want you to meet my needs today, spiritual, emotional, relational, physical. You meet my needs. That's what he wants to do. Back to John. Verse, chapter 6, verse 36. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet do not believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Who are the ones who get saved? Who are the ones who come to Jesus and believe in him? This verse, these verses answer that question. The ones who believe in Jesus are the ones that God gives to Jesus. The ones who believe in Jesus and get saved are the ones that God gives to Jesus. Way back in eternity past, many verses, Ephesians 1, 2 Thess 2, Acts 13, many verses talk about how God chooses people to get saved. And then he gives those people to Jesus as a gift. It is as if God was picking the bride for his son. And you understand that, I believe, from the word of God, that we as Christians, we as a church, we are the bride of Christ. He picked us as the bride then for his son and gave us then to him as a gift. It was a father's decision. That's what we're talking about here. And so all those then that God gives to Jesus come to Jesus and believe in Jesus and get saved. That's, that's the point. And the only people who do believe in Jesus are the ones that God gives to Jesus. That's what it's telling us here in the Word of God. The bottom line is this, is that all people 
responsible to believe in Jesus, and if they do not believe in Jesus, then they won't be saved, and they'll be apart from God forever and ever. And the people who do believe in Jesus are the ones that God wants to save and the ones that God has chosen to save. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. God chose us, and it's by faith that he gives us, and it's by the Spirit that he gives us as well. This is what God does for us. Romans 8, another verse is on this. Many, but just these two here, two sets. Romans 8, 28 to 30. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the first among many brethren. That verse, he foreknew, he predestined. Verse 30, and these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also glorified. So this truth then of God choosing us, these whom he justified, he justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. So there's the truth. We see this. It's important that we understand this because God then gets, gets all the glory. Back to John chapter 6, and it talks more about this and how this works. Just a, a sort of a... a a general verse, a general word. John 6, 44, we're looking ahead here, but we'll come back to this more next week. So no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what do we see there? Not only did God choose who gets saved, but he draws people to himself. What he's saying by this is very, very clear, that that God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, gives us the desire to get saved. He gives us the faith to get saved. He gives us the grace to be saved. If you think back to when, before you were saved, and I could tell this about the year before I was saved, back when I was 17, 18, I, I could sense, I mean, I didn't know for sure what was going on that time, but now as I look back, I could say, man, God has really drawn me. There were different things taking place. He was working in my heart. Just in my mind, circumstantially, different people, God was drawing me. My wife would share the same thing when she shares her testimony. God draws us then to himself. That's what he does for us. And all this, there's this verse here, you know, let me, let me explain this. It's important. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which I've mentioned a few times the past few weeks, but it's very important in this context. It says, for by, by grace you are saved. Three words there. Grace, saved, faith, right? For by grace you are saved through faith. Next phrase. And that not of yourself. What's not of yourself? This, by faith, grace, and saved. It's not of yourself. So, by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not you. It's God. God gives you the grace, the faith. God saves you. That's what you're saying. By grace, you're saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, 
Not as a result of works, the last phrase here, lest any man should boast. That's it. It says the same thing. Same thing. We need to understand that. Not of yourself means salvation is not of you at all. It's all of God. He chooses. He draws. He saves. That's what he does. John 6, 37. We continue on this chapter here. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Now Jesus says that he will not cast out those who come to him. A great assurance first. That is, Jesus will keep you saved. He will keep you saved forever. That is, he will give you this eternal life. That's what it is. Very important to understand this. He keeps you saved. John 10, which we've looked at, but some of the best assurance verses in the Bible. Assurance meaning that you have this confidence, this assurance that, hey, if I'm a believer, I'm saved. When I, when I, I got saved back 50 years ago, my, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be honest, my first year or two of my salvation, I didn't have complete assurance. I just wasn't sure. I was doubting. I was questioning. I talked to my wife. She got saved back in November of 84. She, she knew right away. And for some people, that's the way it is. Some people, it's not. Some people have that assurance from the get-go. Some people don't. I did, and she did. But the point is, God wants to give us this assurance. That's what he wants. John 10, 27 to 29. I know these verses my wife really, really likes a lot. This context, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So, sort of a double thing there. You're not going to get away from Jesus. You're not going to get away from the Father. Very important, encouraging verses. Back to John chapter 6. 38 to 40. I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds his Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. What does it say? First of all, Jesus is going to do the will of the Father, which is an amazing thing. I mean, that should, of course, always be our desire, but Jesus did everything his Father wanted him to do. Secondly, this repeats what we learned in verse 37, that, that, that God gives Jesus to people and these believers, the ones who these believers in. He's not going to lose. He's going to keep them safe and saved forever. Important. It's encouraging to understand that. Thirdly, those who come to him who get saved are ones he's going to raise up on the last day. Last day is what? That's when Christ comes back. That's when the rapture takes place. That's when we're glorified. So you see in these verses here, he's saying very simply, he's talking about the entirety of your salvation. You're, you're saved. You come to him, you believe in him, and you're saved, and then you'll be raised up on the last day when Christ comes back. Not when you physically die, if you die before the rapture, but the rapture takes place, that's when you'll be glorified. That's when your salvation will be complete. It starts when you're saved, justified, continues now we're being sanctified, but it's completed at that time. So that's what he's saying. Very important verses. I'll raise you up on that last day. Philippians 1, 6, I'm confident that he who began a good work on you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Finally, the will of the Father is that those who behold the Son, that means those who look to the Son, who come to him, 
those who believe in them, these are the ones who have eternal life. This phrase eternal life appears a lot. It's the, it's the big word in the Gospel of John. I, I would say this. I would say if you talk about the bread of life or Jesus being the resurrection life, that it all fits under this eternal life. Everything fits under there. If you have eternal life, then you have the bread of life, you have the living water, you have all these things that God has for you. A couple of verses, and then some verses from the song. Psalm 34, verse 8, which you know, it says, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So that's, that's the instruction. It's really a command. You are commanded to taste. And if you taste, if you come to him, believe in him, then you will see that the Lord is good. He'll take care of you. He'll give you refuge. The next verse, Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I may sing for joy and be glad all my days. It's a prayer. In that little verse, you're praying, God, you've got to satisfy me because I sure can't make myself solid, good, happy, joyful, peaceful. I can't do it. You all know that. All of you at times have anxiety and fears and worries and problems, and we all have that. You go to him. God, you've got to satisfy me. You've got to fill me up. You've got to do this. And it's, it's as you are with the Lord, it's by the Spirit, it's by the Word. God uses other people as well. But ultimately, all this comes from, from, from the Father, through the Son, through the work of the Holy Spirit, to our lives. That's what he wants. He wants this for you. So don't forget this. Don't forget this today. Because we're saved, and, and sometimes, though, we act like we're not. And God wants to make us filled up with him. He wants us to hunger and thirst. He wants us to see that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. I was thinking of a hymn that, that sort of talks about this, and this is the one I, I got. My wife, she reminded me of the name of it, but it's a song called Jesus, I Am Resting. I'm just going to read it. Jesus, I Am Resting. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I'm finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness lavished all on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise and have made it mine. Simply trusting thee, Lord Jesus, I behold thee as thou art. And thy love, so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart, satisfies its deepest longings, meets, supplies its every need, compasseth me round with blessings, thine is love indeed. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Resting neath thy smile, Lord Jesus, earth's dark shadows flee. Brightness of my Father's glory, sunshine of my Father's face, keep me ever trusting, resting, fill me with thy grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time today. I know as I was getting ready for this message, Lord, I realized that I'm not satisfied by you as much as I need to be. And I was convicted. And Lord, I want this for myself and I want this for everyone here, that more and more we'd experience, we know what it means for you to be the bread of life and in our lives where we're satisfied, we're we're being encouraged and, and loved and loved by you. We, we want this. Lord, we want you to be our shepherd. It says, Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
Father, we want this. Each one of us want this. But, Lord, sometimes we just get off track. Sometimes we start doing, getting involved in the world and things in the flesh that just don't do us any good. Yes, it's a passing pleasure of sin. That's what it might be. It might be a weight, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. We're running, and there's both sins and weights. Weights meaning things that aren't necessarily sinful, but just bog us down. Don't really do us any good. And so, Father, I pray that for each of us here today, for this church, those who are listening on, that God help us more and more to be ones who are hungering and thirsting for you, who ones who pray, satisfy, satisfy me, Lord, with your unfailing love, that I might sing for joy. Sometimes we're not singing for joy because we're not satisfied by your love. So I ask you for that. Each one of us, make this personal. I know, God, that you will, because as we go through the days, sometimes we are doing things we ought not to do. Drive us back to yourself. Help us, Lord, to know what this means, that we hunger and thirst for you. It says in Psalm 63, Behold you and your glory, and then satisfied by your love, and then be our ones who sing to you and give praise to you. But thank you for this church. We ask you to lead us, to guide us, protect us, Lord, those who aren't here today. I know some are traveling back. Lord, we just pray some are leaving tomorrow. I know from our church, Lord, here and there, but just ask you to always be with us and lead us and use us again for your purposes. Pray for, for Bethel, too. Thank you for them, for Raphael and, and, and the other believers there. I just pray for your leading and blessing on them. Use them, God, for your purposes and glory as well. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we'll have our communion time. Just stand as we have um, the, our hymn for preparing our hearts for communion. And as Steve just got through saying in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, um, by grace we're saved through faith, it's not of ourselves, nothing we can do. And this hymn asks a question that goes along with that, what can wash away my sin? The answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow oh other I know nothing but the blood of Jesus for my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. 
atone Nothing but the blood of Jesus Not of good that I have done Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow Verses in the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 7, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews, to the Jews, who's trying to help the Jews understand, well, what's going on here, this Old Testament, you know, we had all these sacrifices, you know, you're doing away with this, and what's, this was taking place. So he explains it really quite clearly. I just want to read a few verses, we'll probably over the course of the next few months continue on looking at verses in Hebrews. The first Hebrews chapter 7, you can go there if you want or just follow on. Verse 17, I'm just going to read 17 to the end of the chapter. It says, it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's talking about, of course, the Lord Jesus. For on the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former command because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there's a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priest without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing, but Jesus on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it's fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sin, and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The law points men as high priests who are weak, but the, word of the, but the word of the Lord which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. So it's about the priest. He's talking about Jesus being a priest. We don't always think about this, but he was a priest. I have four words to use that describe what we read, read here. First, he was a, a permanent priest, lives forever. First, second, he was powerful. He wasn't weak, kept living. Third, third he was perfect undefiled. And finally, he was productive. Productive meaning the work he did, it wasn't just a temporary covering like what the priest did back in the old days. This was productive. Has effect for all eternity. But just a couple more verses, Ephesians 5. 
about Jesus. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I like that phrase, be imitators of God as beloved children. Whether you feel like you're loved or not, if you're in the Lord, if you're saved, you are loved by God. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He gave himself up for us. He sacrificed his life for us. He was a priest, and he gave himself up for us to take away our sins. That's what he did. And then finally, again, I'll repeat it. Walk in love just as Christ loved you. This time we want to just take a minute to pray, and um, we want our hearts to be right before the Lord before we have this communion time. It says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. So just before the Lord, silently, just take a minute, we'll pray, and then we'll have our communion. Father, thank you so much for this time you've given us together. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We go through life, and we all know that we still sin. Hopefully not as much as we used to, but we still sin. We're still in this human body. There's flesh, there's the world, there's the devil, Lord. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you've forgiven us. But help us to be ones, Lord, that, that don't let this, this, this sin have power over us, not get victory over us. Help us to be more and more ones who are walking in holiness. Even this time here is, is partly for that, to remind us of your fresh love for remind us freshly of your love for us and what you did for us and how you want us to be ones who are, even as it says there in Ephesians 5, walking in love just as you, Lord Jesus, loved us. But we thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone here that we can now take communion together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is in remembrance for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love for us, your work for us, and saving us is eternal life. You read that last phrase there, we to do this until you come back. Whatever happens in life as you go on here till our life is over on this earth, Lord, whether we physically die or are raptured, we're to do this to remember you. They all know that we can easily forget you. 
that, Lord, thank you again so much. I just, I just pray more and more, more than ever before, we'd be ones who are satisfied by your love, and then we'd be ones who walk in love, loving you and loving the people that you put in, in our life. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Activity-wise, uh, we have our Bible study, Prophecy Bible Study, this Wednesday, if you're able to come out, 645. And then Friday, uh, men will have our meeting, uh, uh, dinner together, and Bible study time this Friday, 630. So put that on your schedule. And wanted to mention uh, Bethel's Vacation Bible School. That's going to be July 5th through the 8th. So if you have anyone that you can invite to the, to the uh, Vacation Bible School, um, do so. Or if you're uh, wanting to maybe volunteer, consider that to help out with the kids that could use volunteers. So that's July 5th through the 8th. And I'm going to repeat, uh, last week I think I mentioned um, uh, Debbie's house burned down, Debbie Bonner. Just wanted to reiterate that in case anybody wasn't here because um, basically we sat down with Debbie and asked her how we could help as a church, and she was kind enough to uh, help us focus on immediate needs. And when I say that, I, I think of the fact that you, you don't typically uh, budget to go you know, this week and buy a, a broom and a flashlight and a bar of soap and all these things. Usually those things are spread out over months, right? So when your house burns down, you've got to buy all those things at once, and therefore, uh, you know, your budget really doesn't help you with that. <laughs> you don't have cash on hand to do that. So one of the immediate needs is cash, if you have cash that you can give, either uh, by check or in a, just cash. You want to put it in an envelope in, a, in the uh, box and mark it for Debbie or a check for Debbie. That, that's fine. We can do that, or you can give it uh, straight to Debbie if you'd like. Feel free to do that. But um, I did, so I gave some examples of what immediate needs are, but don't feel like you've got to, uh, or don't <laughs> uh, copy those. Don't give uh, Debbie 50 flashlights, for example, just because I said flashlights. So the best thing to do is to talk to Debbie. If you got extra stuff that you have, ask her, hey, Debbie, do you need a flashlight? Do you need a broom? Do you need a etc. So um, so she doesn't get 50 of everything. So that's it. Again, focus on talking to Debbie about tr you know what you can do to help her. That's great. And now we have our last songs and the offering, uh, the box on the back table, and then online or, or mail it into the church. And I forgot one other thing. Uh, with our getting back into fellowship in Fellowship Hall, uh, I uh, putting a uh, snack sign-up sheet back on the table here, and we'll keep that out on a regular basis so people can sign up to uh, bring in snacks to have after church in Fellowship Hall. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Is everybody awake now? Okay. Would you stand for our last song?
was sharing with the uh, music team as we were practicing this morning so this this particular hymn it's amazing to me the verse that talks about when satan comes and is trying to convince me that my sin is too great or that god doesn't love me or maybe that i'm not his says with my spiritual eyesight with my faith i can see jesus standing beside god the father as an advocate to account for my sins and to tell the Father, that's the one I've chosen, that's the one I love, and he's mine. Before the throne of God above.
Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Amen.